IndieCast is presented by Uproxx's Indie Mixtape. Hello everyone and welcome to IndieCast. On the show we talk about the biggest indie news of the week, review albums, and we hash out trends. In this episode we respond to emails from you, the IndieCast listener. My name is Stephen Hyden and I'm joined by my friend and co-host. He wants to know, can we please have fun? Ian Cohen, Ian, how are you? Kings of Leon are on the precipice of maybe the biggest nay to yay pivot in IndieCast history. I mean, if they either have like low-key an incredible sense of humor or absolutely none at all there's nothing in between um but i would i I think nickelback wish they could choose that one like because they've been going for that like there's such a lane for like for lack of a better term shitty rock bands who kind of pivot to acting as if they were been in on the joke the whole time and if Nickelback did that, you know, it would be a great cover. Plus, also, it would be a How You Remind Me callback. I, I, I'm really excited to see where Kings of Leon are going with this. Yeah, so I, I'm sure you're all aware <laughs> already that Kings of Leon announced an album last week called uh, Can We Please Have Fun? And uh, the reason why we're talking about it now, because this is old news, by the time this episode posts, is that this is a banked episode. We're recording this a week ahead of time. In the world of us recording this episode, this Kings of Leon news is brand new. For you, the listener, you you probably already forgot about this. This album, I'm sure, has been memory hold even before <laughs> it's been released. But uh, I, I had to bring it up. I, Kings of Leon announcing a new album. Can we please have fun? Just an amazing album title uh you should google the album if you haven't already and see the cover amazing cover is amazing four unsmiling kings of leon (laughs) members on the cover there's like a blue frame on it just amazing it it Um, looks like a blog it looks like a blog rock like band name and a blog rock album cover yeah it's amazing i actually i I legitimately like the cover i legitimately like the name um i have to say too I've been listening to late aughts Kings of Leon on the sly, like a lot lately. Uh, Especially uh, uh, their fourth record, Only by the Night, Mm. their sellout record. Um, I've been big on that record. The first song on that record uh, is called Closer. I don't know if you are are you familiar with this album at all? I think I I think I reviewed it. Um, There's a good chance. Like I, I think I reviewed one or two Kings of Leon. Albums and I love how you describe one of them as like a sellout album, as if they were like a paragon of uh, indie virtue early on. Well, yeah, I know what you. I mean know, there. but like, I think in for those who like Kings of Leon, and I'm going to call myself a fan. I I'm a legit fan of this band. I think they're ridiculous, and I do think that they're very they're very dumb. But I love that they're dumb. Like you said, shitty. I wouldn't call them shitty. I would call them dumb. Yes, they're definitely they're, dumb. They're, they're a very dumb rock band, but I love dumb rock bands, and we don't have like a dumb popular rock band right now that's like Kings of Leon. So when I need that itch scratched, those records are still there for me. I, if you're a Kings of Leon fan, I think there is this mark of demarcation between the first three records and then the post three records. And I think for a lot of people who are 
you know, in the Kings of Leon community, they look at Only by the Night as being the sellout record. It's the record with Use Somebody, which is like this big power ballad type song, which I think was nominated for Record of the Year. It probably was. Uh, it, Grammy. It almost certainly was. <laughs> you know, it, like that's the song that like put them in like the American Idol conversation. Like people on that show would sing Use Somebody. And of course, it also has Sex on Fire. Which, which is a Grammy-winning song. They won three Grammys. That's an amazing dumb rock song. Sex on Fire. I'm sorry. If you <laughs> want to posture like you're too good for Sex on Fire, <laughs> I, I, I just can't relate to you because it's like the dumbest U2 song <laughs> combined like with the dumbest Stroke song to make this Voltron of rock dumbness that is just spectacular. Um, but the first song on Only by the Night, I, just, I have to talk about this. I've listened to this song probably every day <laughs> for the last month. Uh, it's, it's, it's called Closer, and it's an amazing song. This is a song that if it had come out two years earlier, Michael Mann would have put it in Miami Vice. Ooh. Like Colin Farrell like driving a boat at night. And then that song coming on, I just imagine it in my mind, and it's like the most amazing cinematic porn I can think of. Just awesomeness. Um, so anyway, this new Kings of Leon album, it's it's either well-timed or poorly timed, because I'm probably going to end up writing about it and being way too complimentary <laughs> for it. I the, the pump has been primed for me to do some... Big time uh, Kings of Leon revisionism. So I'm just warning people ahead of time about that. I am extremely excited for this because, yeah, I I, I kind of do want to like them. And you say, like, there's no trashy rock bands. I mean, there's Monoskin, but there's a difference between being Italian and being from Tennessee, you know? Well, and the thing with Kings of Leon, I do think that they have legitimately great songs. I do think that, like, Aha, Shake Heartbreak, that's their second record. I think... If you are like me and you like chunky, chuggly rock, there's a lot of gold there. It's just that, like, you know, they're they're total himbos. Yes. You know, like, they're, you know, I mean, the documentary about them, uh, Talihani Sky, that came out in 2011, amazing doc. Mm-hmm. I might have to talk about that on this, uh, on the show when that album comes out. It is like the unintentional spinal tap of... Aughts era rock. Yeah. It, it's it's amazing. It's sort of like the uh, meeting people is easy. Uh, like it's like that's what I think they were trying. They were like unintentionally trying to make. <laughs> way way better though than that movie. Radiohead much better band, but I would rather watch a documentary about Kings of Leon <laughs> because they're just more entertaining. They're more buffoonish. You know, they're writing like segways backstage. You know, you got Caleb Followill. You know, drinking wine and talking about God and oh my God, it's amazing. It, it's like it's like rattle and hum. <laughs> if you two were from the South and way way dumber, like if they had like a lobotomy <laughs> before rattle and hum, that you would get that Kings of Leon documentary. So I, again, like look, this is a banked episode. <laughs> this is old news. No one's talking about Kings of Leon, but I I had to. This is not going to be the last we talk no, about Kings it's of Leon. Not. I, uh, there's going to be some major Kings of Leon discourse on this show. Uh, I should say, too, that the reason why we're banking this episode is that I had to take off the last week of February because I'm going into the studio to record 
the audiobook version of my upcoming book, There Was Nothing You Could Do, Bruce Springsteen, Born in the USA and the End of the Heartland, which is available for pre-order, by the way, including the audiobook or the physical book or the ebook. That book comes up May 28th in time for the 40th anniversary of Born in the USA. So yeah, so I'm going into the studio with John Landau, Bob Clear Mountain. He's going to be mixing it. Uh, it's going to be a great album, I think. We'll see. I'll be wrapping up the album by the time this podcast posts. So I've never recorded an audiobook before. I, I, I don't know how it's going to go. I don't know if my voice is going to be shot, if I'm going to, you know, because I'm, I'm going to be in the studio for like hours, like six hours a day. The book is about, I think, they guessed it's going to be about eight and a half hours long. So this is like, what is this? This is like a 10 LP album. Really? <laughs> yeah. Eight hours long. Like, take that, Billy Corgan. This is my <laughs> debut album, too. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited to see if there's, like, someone constantly bringing you, like, honey tea or whatever. If we get outtakes or... Brian, if you have a chance, you, if you could, like, plug in that Simpsons clip where Krusty goes in to record the voice of the talking doll... Uh, with Lisa there, I would really appreciate that. Or don't. I don't know if any of our... I think we got enough Simpsons cast people who would get that joke. All right, you point experts. Let's get this right. One. Hey, hey, kids, I'm talking crusty. Two. Hey, hey, here comes Sideshow Mel. Again. Here comes Sideshow Mel. Sideshow Mel. Three. <laughs> bada bing, bada boom, I'm done. Learn from a professional, kid. Well, you know, I'm sometimes tired after doing an indie cast, and that's only like, you know, an hour. Yeah. So, you know, laying down tracks for several hours a day, I don't know. I don't know. What, I'm a little concerned about my voice. I'm sure I'll rise to the occasion. Um, but yeah, you know, look, you got to do it for the people. I, I, I've never recorded an audiobook of one of my books before. I've had people ask, like, hey, I would buy the audiobook if you were reading it. Because I don't actually read your writing. I only know you from the podcast. <laughs> I like to hear your voice. and I don't like to read your words, but I do like you <laughs> saying your words. So for those people, and that's the people listening to the show, please buy the audiobook. I'm 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 taking off a week of work for you people. Mm. And uh the way media is now, you don't know. I mean, who knows if I'll even have a job when I get back. I mean, <laughs> yeah. media's going to media's going to hell right now. Yeah, but we're gonna stay. I'm joking. I I think we're okay, but Kings of Leon cast is the thing that's going to stand tall as the rest of the media empire crumbles. That's true. You know, the media hasn't been very kind to Kings of Leon, and the media has been in decline. So, is that a coincidence? <laughs> I don't know. You you decide out there. Um, we should do a quick fantasy draft check-in here. Um, March 1st is actually a huge day for me in the draft, because I've got Mannequin Pussy and Faye Webster uh, both coming out. So, obviously, we're not talking about that. In today's episode, because this is a banked episode, we'll get to that next week. You have Yard Act I, also dropping. Yeah, they're seriously kidding, according to Pitchfork.com. Seriously kidding. Well, then we know we're on to something good. That's at least an 8.0 probably from them. Mm. Um, BJ Iyer. Ah. This, this has become <laughs> the most compelling narrative of the quarter one draft. Because, okay, you drafted BJ Iyer. A jazz artist, and I was very impressed. I expressed <laughs> my admiration for that pick. I was like, "That that's the best pick. I think you're going to take it home. And then the album comes out, and it gets good reviews, but it's not on Metacritic. And we waited, I think, three weeks yeah. 
for it to show up on Metacritic, and finally you're like, I'm gonna pick something else. You picked what, like Jiln? Jalen, yeah, a foot, kind of a footwork, like a highbrow footwork artist who's been very critically acclaimed in the past, and uh, is working with right. It's a good call, you know. It's a good pick, but then I don't know if it was this week. BJ Iyer shows up on Metacritic and currently has an 87. A great Metacritic score, but BJ Iyer's off your team now. Mm-hmm. So Jay Lynn now, if, if, if Jay Lynn doesn't pull an 87 at least, you're going to be leaving points on the table. How are you feeling right now? Are you? Do you feel like, well... Look, I had to pick somebody else. I didn't know what was going to happen. Or do you do you feel some regret about eighty sixing VJ Iyer and you know just not being patient enough for it to show up on Metacritic? Eighty sixing the eighty seven. Yeah, I said it was like a Fran Vasquez situation a few weeks ago, and now it's more like a John Elway sort of thing where uh, <laughs> you know he gets picked. I think it was by the Colts, and they refused to play, and but it, until like the Broncos picked them. So um, look. I, I'm I'm pretty conf like uh, my team's doing pretty well right now. I have I have full confidence that um, Jalen's going to put up some numbers, maybe even higher ones. I don't know, but um, maybe I just kind of want wish I had kept it so we have like a you know more quick resolution on which one of us is winning. Um, have you heard the Art Act album by the way? I dabbled in it, yeah, yeah. and it is it it it's like uh sort of like a rock revival act from the mid-aughts like kind of like a Franz Ferdinand vibe right yeah there's is kind that... of some art brute to it I'm like ooh this is gonna annoy some people <laughs> um yeah that's that's not as like that would have been critical catnip 20 years ago now I feel like people that's that art bruteness is gonna be held against it yeah we'll, we'll see I'm pretty confident it'll put up like a low 80 but you know, I, I didn't really listen to them that much prior to picking it, and now it's like, oh, uh, I'm like really walking out on the edge here because like there's a good chance it's going to annoy the living shit out of some people, which maybe means I'll like it. I don't know. <laughs> to go back to the VJ Iyer thing, you know, I again, I think that was a great pick, mm-hmm. and I think in the future, that's going to be something that has to be taken into account. If you take the jazz record, <laughs> and it doesn't show up on Metacritic right away, do you risk, you know, not getting those points and just holding on, you know, kind of thinking, okay, maybe it's not going to show up the week of release, but maybe it'll be like a month later and I'll end up with an 87. Or do you, you know, eject the jazz album and take something else? I mean, Jalen's probably going to do mid-80s. I think it's a lot to ask of any draft pick. Mm-hmm. To do an eighty-seven plus eighty-seven is a is a fantastic score, you know. Nineties, obviously, if you get into that Olivia Rodrigo nineteen eighty-nine redo <laughs> range in the nineties, that's you're a Hall of Famer. But like eighty-seven is a very strong score. So I don't know, but I I can't fault you for getting rid of VJ Iyer because mm-hmm. um, it was like three weeks. But it is amazing. These fantasy drafts, how things just change so quickly, how it went from, you know, not being on the board to being like one of the highest on the board. That's why you play the games, folks. <laughs> yeah. You don't know how this is going to turn out. You know, it's amazing. Yeah, I think next time, like when we do this next, we have like you, we shouldn't be allowed to trade uh, or like give up. The, I, I think it just kind of raises the difficulty level. 
what that that's what's good about it though. This is this is bringing drama, yes. and it brings it brings more strategy to it. I love yeah. it. I you know, Kings of Leon cast and fantasy cast. That's that that is what is going to carry us through these tumultuous times. Maybe we should have like a side bet on <laughs> what the Metacritic score of the Kings of Leon album will be, because. I actually think it'll do pretty well. The British press loves Kings of Leon. Still? I bet they would. I bet I bet like New Musical Express <laughs> will call this their best album since Because the Times. I could I could totally see I that. love that Because the Times, that's what we're identifying as their octung baby or automatic for the people. Uh it's like that is that is a great record though. <laughs> I, and again, I I should say because of the times, not because the times. Um I think again in the Kings of Leon community, that is considered their best. Either that or Aha Shake Heartbreak. Nice. So, so the Kings of Leon community, I'm signaling to them that I know who they are when I when I <laughs> shout out because of the times, not because the times. The of I guess is that. I mean, I don't really even know what that title means, really, because of the times. <laughs> yeah, the times. It's, it's the times. It's sort of like because of the internet, you know? Our, Is it because of the, of the New York Times? Like, be, <laughs> you know, like, like did the New York Times do a profile of Kings of Leon that put them on the map? And they're like, this is why we have a third record, because of the times? God. Or, or these are the times that we, like, the uh, George W. Bush years, they produced us as a band like the uh, circumstances of our era made this record what it is i i don't know we got to have we got to have uh, the followwell brothers on the on the pod that can explain yeah. this out they seem they seem like fun guys i actually hope that uh, i saw they like started their band in 1999 i would love for them to have some sort of like my chemical romance style origin story where they say like 911 convinced them to like make a band well there is a big origin story with them yeah uh, how they were like raised in the church and you know they didn't have any access to rock and roll at growing up and then they just magically became a rock band. <laughs> I mean there's like some, you know, there's like some urban legends about them being basically like a boy band yes. that was constructed and that they didn't know how to play their instruments when they first got together and then they were they were coached to become a band because they were just so handsome. <laughs> you know, they they looked they looked good in mustaches and blue jeans. So let's make them a band. I mean, I love, that's another thing I love about Kings of Leon is that they're a product of an era when someone thought, let's make a gajillion dollars by manufacturing a band like Kings of Leon. Like that's the last time in history anyone <laughs> would think, oh, a band like Kings of Leon is going to make me yeah, rich. We're not going to leave know? that Black Oak Arkansas money on the table in the year 2003. <laughs> Wow, Black Oak, yeah. We, uh, we can talk about Kings of Leon for fucking hours. This is our next audio it's, book. Just me and you rapping about Kings of Leon. It's like, I got I got a get-rich-quick scheme. We'll find four handsome guys from the South, put them in bell-bottoms, and have them grow out their hair, and we'll just watch the money roll in. <laughs> yeah, that that was the thought in, like, 2003. That seemed like a plausible plan. It worked. And, uh, <laughs> it worked. It worked. Last time in history where that would actually happen. Um, let's get to our mailbag. Um, we have a ton of emails in the mailbag. I, I put out a call for some mail last week. Our listeners came through with some really good questions here. Um, 
We have five emails here to go through. We'll see if we get to all of them. I mean, we just talked about Kings of Leon for a really long time. And uh, I could easily be redirected to Kings of Leon talk. I, I, I'm in that kind of mood that <laughs> anything could spark me on a Kings of Leon tangent. But uh, let's get to our mailbag here. Uh, do you want to read our first email? Yeah, this comes to us from Mike B. from Wickoff, New Jersey. Um, Ooh. Yeah. Wickoff. Yeah, but Wickoff. Get, get, getting you prepared for the uh, the Bruce. You know, we're going to represent all facets of New Jersey. So, I, I bet the towns around Wickoff have a lot of fun with that name. Yeah. Maybe it's yeah, pronounced Wickoff. I don't know. Oh, uh, it could be Wyckoff. Yeah. I just feel like yeah, there's some potential uh, tomfoolery to be had with that name. Anyway. Yeah, it's in Bergen County. Um, yeah, I just had to look it up because I wonder if it's like our last week's letter from like the nice part of Connecticut, whether this is like the nice part of New Jersey. There are many nice parts. Anyway, uh, Steve and Ian, big friend of the podcast here. Nothing is better than your weekly guidance as I preach the gospel of patio rock, hash out trends with my friends, or ponder what song I will rediscover after years of memory holding. This this guy speaks the lingo. Love it, love it. While this is my first mailbag submission, it comes at a time when I am dire need of perspective. Is it just me or is 2024 Q1, a usual dead zone for most pop culture, let alone music, is just absolutely on fire, like Kings of Leon said about sex? Am I wrong that January to March feels like a time when unwanted leftovers of the previous year just sort of sulk out to see daylight before disappearing again until someone picks one or two albums at the end of the year to remember fondly? Am I wrong that this year is almost been a summertime level of banger after banger bl- blessing us each week. The vaccines, uh, Bill Ryder, Jones, this guy reads enemy, Glass Beach, Sprint, Slater, Kinney, The Smile, Ducks Limited, Maddie Diaz, San Furman, Memory Town, Frico, Omni, even Last Dinner Party delivered after the hype. Not to mention solid new singles from Dead, Waxahachie, Adrian Lenker, MGMT, Lemon Twigs, La Savvy Fave, The Decemberists? I can't remember having this many album or song saves this early in the year. Am I on to something? Or am I just in a good mood this winter for some reason? Is there any other Q1 you guys can think of that compares? Please advise. Ride the vibe. Mike V. Look, you were kind of putting some stink on some of those uh, bad names that you didn't think were worthy. Like, you're kind of like taking some shots at Decemberists there. What was the other one? Uh, you kind of like were a little skeptical about the vaccines. The vaccines, yeah. I didn't know they had a new single out. Um, <laughs> thank you for writing in. Um, you know, it's interesting. I actually feel like it's not uncommon for an album or two or even three to come out in Q1 that ends up sort of setting the tone for album of the year conversations. Um, like, I actually, I mean, I think January, there's not a ton of things that come out. I mean, the example I always think of is Meriwether Post Pavilion mm-hmm. coming out right at the beginning of the year. But I, I do think that March... Usually there's, like, by then you're getting, like, some big ticket records. Um, so I don't know if this quarter is unique. What What is interesting to me, like, the thing I would say is that it's been big for news. Like, there's been a lot of announcements lately, but those albums aren't coming out until the second quarter. It's interesting, too, that there's been so many artists that have come back after not putting out a record for five or six years. Like, we talked about MGMT last week. Uh, there's a new Vampire Weekend album coming out. Uh, Amen Dunes, which we haven't talked about them, but they announced a new mm-hmm. album. That's their first since Freedom in 2018. Freedom, one of my awesome favorite record. indie rock records of the last 10, 15 years. Uh, the Mannequin Pussy record that is out today. 
uh, Jessica Pratt. We talked about that. that. Her first record in five years is coming out in May. So there's been a lot of album announcements in recent weeks. But again, that's looking ahead to the second quarter. So dive. I don't know if don't, like don't this... forget about dive. Oh Jesus, yeah, dive. Of course, uh, that that's their first record in five years. Um, so yeah, so it's there's like a lot to look forward to in the first quarter. But yeah, I don't know if this this quarter. I don't think it's unusually stacked to me. I, I was thinking back to 2022. There was a lot of records coming out right at the beginning of the year. Uh, you know, starting like with the Big Thief record. Mm. I remember that was really early, and that kind of set the tone. I think that came out in March of that year. Uh, I'm just looking it up quick. No, it came out in February of that year. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. I I'm with you though. I think there's a, like a lot of things to look forward to, but yeah, I don't think it's like unprecedented how stacked. It yeah, is. especially as like at this very moment where we're living like 10 year anniversary pieces for like home, like no place is there, and like Benji, and we're gonna get lost in the dream. Uh, in a few weeks. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, 2014. Gee, yeah, talk about yeah, that. Yeah, that was just on fucking fire. And, you know, I, I put a little stink on some of the uh, names because I think there's been, like, some good stuff coming out. And yeah, for me, it's, like, Glass Beach and everyone else. Um, you know, some of these albums that you mentioned, like, Frico, I like that album. Ducks Limited, that's a good album. Um, and I'm thinking, though, that... Uh, it, it's hard to tell like what like which of these will go the distance, but we also have to acknowledge the fact that uh, most publications are fighting for survival right now. So it, it, it's hard to tell like if we're going to get any year end list. But I think it's it, it's interesting. We will. Yeah, we're going to have year end list. Come on. But um, I think it was interesting that Mike said like we're getting summertime level banger after banger and. Look, as people who have been doing this podcast for four years, we know damn well that July is like a dead zone. Like nothing happens in July. So I think it's the early part of the year, particularly uh, February. March less so because that used to be like South by Southwest and like people would just kind of take off. But yeah, the summer is a real dead zone. But Q1 tends to be uh, cool because like, this is like when I'm like have renewed excitement to check out new music after kind of, you know, uh, finishing out the year and like not having much to think about in November and December. Like I usually get get like renewed enthusiasm, uh, especially when there are bands who are releasing new records that uh, that haven't been around for like like I listen to the real estate album, the uh, Future Islands album, you know, albums not like I'm not stoked about, but it's like, fuck it. I'll, I, I got time. So, you know, I, I just love Mike B's enthusiasm. We need more of that. Yeah, I mean, I would say February to May and then the fall, mm -hmm. you know, maybe September to like the beginning of November. Like, because once you get past the first week of November or so, I, I think things really slow down in terms of releases. But uh, yeah, like February to May and like maybe like September to the. Very early part of November, like those are like I think the hot times to put out a record. I was just thinking about like what albums have stood out for me so far, because a lot of the albums I love, again, I have them now, but they're not out until the second quarter. So thinking about records that have actually come out already, I kind of want to say like we haven't talked about this band on the show. Uh, Liquid Mike. I am shocked that we had. I, 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 I wouldn't. I didn't touch it in recommendation corner because I was absolutely certain that you were going to. 
Well, okay, so I have an... Uh, I, I wrote a column on this band that might be up today. If it's not up today, it'll be up on Monday. Liquid Mike, this is a band from uh, the UP, Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Uh, and they're just such a... They're a great band. They... Uh, they basically combine all the things I love, Midwesternness. There's some guided by voices in there. There's uh, a little bit of like small town uh, debauchery, hold steady type narratives. Um, they're just like a power pop band with great lyrics, and every song's like two minutes long. Mm. And uh, yeah, their album's called Paul Bunyan Slingshot. That's probably my favorite album of, of Q1. Um, but yeah, Q2 is is really strong. I think there's a lot of really good records that are about to come out uh, that'll be fun to talk about when that comes around. Um, let's get to our second letter. This one I will read. This is from Victoria. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's from Josh. It's from Josh, who lives in Victoria, British Columbia. Um, another Canadian the Canadians love our show and we love Canada. So thank you for writing in. Uh, hi, Stephen Ian. First off, gotta say how much I appreciate the pod. You know, we're leaving all the compliments mm-hmm. in our emails this week. Cause you know, we need some self-esteem here. Uh, I've been a listener since your episode on Halcyon Digest. And this is one of only two pods that I never miss. Mm. I wonder what the other <laughs> one is. You make my Friday mornings every week with the music convos that I can't get in my daily life. Oh, thank you. Josh, that's really sweet. Okay, I'm going to see a Feist show tonight. And uh, you will have seen this show, obviously, by the time we talk about it. But And I got thinking on a theory I wanted to run by you two. I think Feist might quietly be the most influential female vocalist of her generation. I hear a version of her sort of oddball, back-of-the-throat vowel phrasing in almost every female songwriter of the last 20 years, from Lord to Olivia Rodrigo, to every reel that pops up in my Insta where a girl has a guitar. Even friggin' Aunt Oliver Anthony does it. <laughs> Oliver Anthony, for those who don't remember, <laughs> that's the Fudge Rounds guy. Uh, he just disappeared. Yeah, He had that Fudge Round song. He's gone. Unless he's like in the studio with Rick Rubin. Yeah, he's in the lab, you know, cooking. He could be in the... <laughs> <laughs> could be... Writing Fudge Rounds Part 2. But I feel like Feist's not really credited with the innovation. I heard the style called seal singing. Okay. Funny in parentheses. Or singing in cursive. Confusing? Yeah, that is a little bit. What are your thoughts on this? Is Feist the Eddie Vedder of the 10s and 20s? And are there other artists you feel are way more influential on current music than anyone seems to acknowledge? Thanks for reading my letter. Keep doing what you're doing. And that's from Josh. Not Victoria. He lives in Victoria, British Columbia. So, Josh, I think this is a good theory. He's saying that Feist is the one vocalist who invented this omnipresent style. I think we all know what he's talking about. You hear it, like, in movie trailers all the time. Like, when they do the, like, gothy cover of, like, a 90s song. And there's, like, a female vocalist singing... And just having a meal with every syllable <laughs> that she's singing, you know, just making a meal out of it and very precious. Um, I would say it's irritating. I find this style of singing very annoying. I'm very excited for it to come out of style, which I think it is. I think we've reached mass seal singing or peak seal singing. But do you think it starts with Feist? Do you think Feist is the one 
who uh, should be credited or, or blamed for this. I don't know. I mean, like we're, we're heading into like true detective cast territory because I don't know if I've mentioned this on previous podcasts, but they they do the spooky, scary cover thing with um, Eagle Eye Cherry Save Tonight. And also, what? dude, you got to hear this. Um, and also twist and shout like that's like a motif that runs out. Look, I know like we're going to run a foul because like any sort of critique of True Detective is, you know, kind of seen as message board bro guys. But I can say objectively, they do a spooky, scary Billie Eilish style cover of Eagle Eye Cherry Save Tonight to close out an episode oh where someone God. gets murdered. Um, that's awful. yeah. So I don't know if. I don't know if that style of singing is in danger of going anywhere. Um, but, you know, that's, it's, a, it's an interesting theory and one that I haven't thought about much. You know, as far as, I mean, Feist I, is someone I've, like, kind of absorbed through osmosis. Like, my dating life since 2007 has been an unbroken streak of women for whom, like, the reminder was massively important. Which, you know, is kind of the converse of, you know, the women like I talked to. He's like, yeah, I've dated nothing but National or Wilco guys. Um, but, yeah, I, I'm like really I, – I, I need to explore this more because um, I, I don't know if like Feist is like the patient zero of this. Um, I don't think Feist is as affected in her vocals as, um, you know, as uh, – as most of the stuff we hear nowadays, I'm also, if we're going to tie it back to Kings of Leon, I'm thinking about my coworker who listened to nothing but the first two songs of uh, Because of the Times and Feist the Reminder on a loop every single day in 2007. But yeah, I think this is, more will be revealed. Also, I just thought of Anthony Oliver, like, or Oliver Anthony. What about Oliver Jimothy? What if the, those two guys collab? I, I think, like, I, I, I want to manifest that. Anthony Oliver sounds like the British version of Oliver Anthony, like whatever <laughs> the uh, the reactionary redneck guy from England, yeah, the equivalent the, of the that Tory would be. guy, yeah, or something like that. So I was thinking about this, and I'm going to make an analogy here that might be terrible, but it makes sense to me. You know, you could logically say that the Beatles have influenced every rock band ever, either directly or indirectly, but. It doesn't necessarily mean that they are a literal influence on them. Like, for instance, the Beatles influenced Nirvana. Kurt Cobain loved the Beatles. But a band that's influenced by Nirvana, you wouldn't necessarily say that they're also influenced by the Beatles. Like, they're influenced by Nirvana because they took elements of what the Beatles did and they totally transformed it and took it in a different direction. I'm going to say this in relation to Feist, where I think Josh makes a good point here. But I would say that Feist influenced Lord. And Lord is the one who's most responsible for this type of singing. I, I, I just feel like it's so aping Lord mm. more than Feist. Even though I think Lord obviously heard Feist and probably took some of her affectations from her. Um, I also think that Billie Eilish took the Lord thing and kind of turned it into like a whisper type singing. And I feel like that has in a way taken over the Lord voice. So like the whisper singing thing. And again, you could both, you, you could say Billie Eilish and Lord were influenced by Feist, but I just think that what those two did to distill the Feist vocal style, they took that and they made it their own. And then that is what people copied. So I would say, yes, you're right, but 
she's influential in the same way that the Beatles are influential. They influenced other influencers who I think have more influence. Does that make sense? It absolutely does. And uh, I am. Ho- I saw that True Detective got renewed for another season, so maybe they're going to do like the, uh, you know, the uh, the spooky, scary, lordish Billy Eilish uh, cover of um, "You Somebody." You know, I had uh, people in my. I, I'm on a text chain uh-huh. with uh, with some friends, and uh, they all they did was complain about True Detective. <laughs> I have so many True same, Detective gripes. Same. And I, I did. I, I watched like half the first episode, and I, I, I was like, I can't do this. <laughs> I, I, I love Jodie Foster. I was like, Oh, Jodie Foster's in this. I, I, I'm a fan of Jodie Foster. I was like, I can't, I can't do this. And then just the stuff I heard, even from people who like the show, the way they described it, I'm like, Nah, not doing it. TV is horrible right now. <laughs> I'm going to renew this complaint. TV is so bad. It's so yeah, bad. Yeah, they're fucking up big time. I'm 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 uh, reading uh, I'm doing the audio book of this uh, of the new Peter Biskin book, which is about uh, the golden age of TV, basically like the like HBO and like like the aughts right. era, and and it's just talking about like The Sopranos, The Wire, Deadwood, Six yeah, Feet we Under. Just, we just like, we just did a Six Feet Under rewatch. Great show. There's like nothing on right now. Like. Like just look at Dead. Like there's nothing as good as Dead. Nothing good as Sopranos. It's just ridiculous. Anyway, yeah. TV cast is over. All right. Well, uh, do you want to read our next email? Yeah, sure thing. All right. So, uh, hey, Steve and Ian, or hey, Ian and Steve. I want to just make sure it's as accurate as possible. Uh, to weigh in on the everlasting debate in the margins of these episodes, I would like to side with Steven, all right, fuck this guy, uh, just kidding, and say that I am a big fan of physical media and still collect CDs to this day. However, in the digital age, we we are sadly missing one very important aspect of the compact disc era, the thrift store bin. What albums from the past 10 or so years do you think would make it to the shelves and bins of bargain stores taking place right next to copies of Fairweather Johnson and This Fire? Would love to hear your thoughts on this. Brendan from Montgomery County, Pennsylvania. Fuck yeah, man. Boathouse, Finger Wings, and other things. That's where I I grew up, baby. So... Is he just identifying the county because his town is so small that he doesn't think we'd recognize it? I wonder why he just went with the county. Yeah, me too. I mean, like maybe he doesn't want. Maybe he doesn't think I know how to say Conshohocken or Wissahickon uh. or Lansdale. <laughs> like, fuck, nah, man. You're you are dealing with a born and bred Lafayette Hill guy, Studio Four. Wow. Where Will Yip puts a uh, you know puts out all those great records. Um, God, we 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 we're King of Prussia Mall, uh, Horsham, wow. Horsham, DeVry, Remembering Univers- some Pennsylvania towns. <laughs> yeah, Bryn Mawr. Wow, I know Bryn Mawr from Bruce Springsteen uh, bootlegs. Like, <laughs> there's 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 one, at least one that I love that was recorded in Bryn Mawr. I think that's the one from the Ghost of Tom Joden mm. tour, maybe. I'm trying to remember some Bruce Springsteen bootlegs here. Anyway, um, what's this fire? By the way, I, I don't know. I was hoping you would know it. This fire album, because um, I know, because I know Fairweather Johnson. That's the second Hootie and the Blowfish album. So it's a I, I get that Ferdinand reference. Ferdinand but... song, but um, oh, Paula Cole. Oh, okay. So that's the one with uh, where have all the cowboys gone? Yes, and I don't want to wait. Uh, okay, all right. That's a little bit of a deep cut, though, Brendan. You could have gone with Monster. That w- that's like the go-to. Yeah, 
uh, like CD that would be used. Um, this is a great, great question, question, by the way. Love love this question. And look, there are still uh, thrift store bins and used CD stores. I don't know if they don't have them in Pennsylvania anymore. I, they're, they're, there are fortunately a decent amount here still uh, in the Twin Cities that I like to frequent. But it is true. I mean, it's not so much that there aren't thrift stores or uh, UCD stores. It's that there aren't enough CDs sold mm-hmm. for them to show up in significant amounts in the way that we all remember seeing certain albums in the bins. So like when I was, so when I think about this question, just thinking, okay, like what if streaming didn't exist and we all still just bought CDs? Like what CDs would show up? The first one I thought of, I was thinking it'd have to be an Adele record. I feel like Adele, she's secretly, I think, the most popular singer around. You know, like we kind of forget about Adele because she's not really in the media very much. But like every time she puts out a record, it sells like 10 million mm-hmm. copies. So I, I think 25, her album 25, which I think might not be on a streaming platform, or at least it wasn't when it came out. Like people had to buy the CD. I think Adele 25. I also thought Reputation. By Taylor Swift, you know, which is the prototypical album after the huge album that's less successful. So she puts out 1989, big hit. She puts out Reputation, still sells millions of records, but like not as big of a hit. So that would be like her Fairweather Johnson in a way. <laughs> so so those two come to mind. I was trying to think of like what would be the monster equivalent, like the rock band that has a huge record deal. And they put out a record that doesn't do as well as the previous record. And I'm saying this, by the way, I have to have this caveat. I love Monster. I've defended that record many times. I'm a big Monster fan, so I'm not knocking Monster. But you can't deny that that album isn't in every single (laughs) UCD store ever made. And the fact that it's like a blaze orange cover (laughs) just makes it stick out that much more. Like, you can't miss it. Um. I don't know. What am I missing? Like, what would you have in your mythical UCD bin from the last 10 years? Yeah, unfortunately, the uh, place where I always bought UCDs in Montgomery County looks like it's now a nail salon. So that's just kind of sign of the times. But um, yeah, this was tough because like a lot of the things that we associate with UCDs were bands like R.E.M. or Hootie and the Blowfish, which were massive. And, you know the only bands that or the only artists that get to that level are like big pop stars. So when I thought like Adele, when you said Adele and Taylor Swift, I'm like, you're probably right. Also, uh, I feel like Adele, there was that time where there were like vinyl plants couldn't press indie records because they needed to press like Adele and Taylor Swift. And like, you would just see like a shitload of Adele vinyls being sold uh, at discount and like, you know, like target or things like that. But I tried to think of like what the I tried to think more along lines of like what's the come on feel of Lemonheads or what's the uh, file under easy listening you know the in like kind of indie coded bands that uh, the the one after the one and so I thought uh, Chance the Rapper's Wife Guy album is a mortal lock like that is <laughs> that I don't the big day I I'm not gonna front like I don't know the name of it but um, what about Donnie Trumpet. Would that be in there somewhere? Uh, maybe, but I, I nah. It's uh, Chance the Rapper. You have to be big and like you. Ha- it has to be the one after the one. So do- there wasn't a previous Donnie Trumpet. Uh, yeah, but so many people bought that just because <laughs> it was Chance the Rapper related. Right. And I feel like, again, in the world where you have to buy a CD, I feel like there'd be so many people 
who bought Donnie Trumpet. Yeah. <laughs> I just love saying Donnie Trumpet. Because uh, that's the name, right? Yeah. I, Don, well, they, they had to okay. change the name because when Donald Trump got elected president, like, they're like, oh, fuck. <laughs> like, this is, that's a true story. But I'm thinking, um, the car seat headrest album from 2020, leave, making a door less open. Maybe Grimes, oh, yeah. Misanthropocene. What about Lord Solar Power? Um, yes, that's a good LCD, one. Lord Solar Power for sure. LCD Sound System, American Dream, because that album cover looks so much like some shit you would see in a UCD store circa 1997. And also, I don't know anyone who really remembers it. Um, maybe the Casey Musgraves album from 2021. Like there were there there was like kind of a mini flop era from that time. Um, the 2020 yeah. experience number two. Uh, oh yes, 2020 experience for yeah. sure. The second one think, specifically, think, or like Man of the Woods. Yes, Man of the Woods would be a big one. I think. Yeah, maybe like the new Travis Scott album. I'm sure, there'd be a bunch of Drake in there as well. What about the Slow Rush? Was that album like popular? I don't know. I, you know, the the pandemic is like a wild yeah. card here because I feel like that really derailed a lot of records. And the slow rush, I think, came out in February of twenty twenty. That was right. Bo- that was like right before the pandemic. So you would think. I mean, I think that record, it's generally viewed as less than Currents. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like Currents Part Two in a lot of ways, but like not as catchy. But if he had been able to tour that record right away, and if it had like a more normal album cycle, who knows? But yeah, I could see the slow rush being in there, yeah, for sure. Because like UCD, um, UCD out, like they're not bad. It's just like the ones right. that weren't as popular as the one before. Yeah, you're getting like a lot of casual fans buying a, the album because they liked the previous one, and they're just dumping mm. it because. Yeah, they just like that one record. Yeah. Or that so one got song. Lost, but like, you know, Last Splash, that was all over the place. Or like Belly's Star or the Flaming Lips album with She Don't Use Jelly. Like, we haven't really even considered the one-hit wonder types. That's true. Yeah, like a band that just had like one huge song. And again, in this world, you can't stream it. You got to buy the $16 <laughs> CD. So maybe like the 1975, like the... They love Love It If We Made It, and they're like, oh, wait, there's like 15 other songs on here? I don't know if I can hang with this record. So they could have been in the conversation. But no, I really like Solar Power. I think that's a that's a, that's a strong, that has strong thrift store bin energy. <laughs> and I think Timberlake, Man of the Woods, I think both 2020 Experience albums, not just the second right. one. I think, I think both of them. Yeah. Would be well, in people there. Love, yeah, Man of the Woods. People love Suit and Tie. The big one on two was Take Back the Night. <laughs> well, the, well, they love Mirrors. That's the song uh, I always hear people say, oh, you know, well, you know, 2020 experience is bad, but it has mirrors. So, I don't know. That's another guy we're going to end up talking about on the show. The whole uh, heel turn for yeah, Justin boy, Timberlake. What a shitty album fucking cycle that's being for. Like, that is a, that is like a, uh, everything now type just blowing it left and right. Well, it is, but like he was set up to fail. Oh, sure. I, I'm not de- I'm not defending Timber. Like he could have done everything great. People were they're just waiting to hate that guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just think it's fascinating the the arc of Justin Timberlake, how <laughs> he was kind of I mean he was like among the first pop stars 
that like indie music press people loved. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying not to use the word poptimism here, but I mean, he was, that was like, you know, like the, like Prime Your River. Future yeah. Sex. No, I'm even before then, Crime Your River. Even, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, that was Crimey River. Yeah, that was like the D-Day invasion of of, of uh, optimism. You know, like they, they secured the beachhead with that song, and then ironically, that becomes also the seeds of his of his destruction because Britney Spears writes her, in her memoir about like what a jerk Justin Timberlake is, and now he looks like a jerk for writing that song. Just fascinating, fascinating tapestry there with Justin Timberlake, Justin Timberlake, and Kings of Leon. That's the only. <laughs> this is the only two people we'll be talking about here on IndieCast. Okay, so let's go to our next email. And it looks like we only have time for four. So we're going to cut the fifth one. We won't even say who wrote it. We don't want to hurt their feelings. We'll probably do it next week because it's a good question. But we only have time for four. And we're going to do this one. This one is from Zach in Alameda, California. Uh, Alameda, that's an Elliot Smith song. Yes, it is. But I don't think he's yeah. talking about the one in California. No, it's talking about a street, right? Yeah, probably. <laughs> um, is that on either or or on XO? It's, on it's, either it's or. on either or. Yeah, that's my favorite. What's your favorite? XO. XO. Mm-hmm. I'm an either or guy. But I like either or of them. Nah. Okay. Anyway, um, Ty Siegel, yay or nay? I don't believe I've heard you guys talk about him, and I'm a big fan. Having cut his teeth in the San Francisco garage psych rock scene of the mid-2000s, along with artists like the OCs, I think he's ultimately transcended the limitations of that genre as a songwriter and has consistently released great albums in the last 10 years that incorporate all styles of good old-fashioned guitar rock music, ranging from folkier songs to heavy metal. He's also a great live act, having just seen him last night on his current tour. Bonus yay or nay question, if you have time. Another SF indie institution, Deerhoof. So we have a yay or nay on uh, Ty Siegel, and then a little bonus one on Deerhoof. Where do you stand on Ty Siegel? Or Ty Seagal? Yeah. <laughs> is it Ty Seagal or Ty Siegel? I, this is another one. I really don't. I actually don't know. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Let's call him Ty. We'll call him yeah. Ty. Which is interesting because, like, I do have quite a few people in real life with whom I talk to about music that are super into, you know, Ty and OCs and like this whole scene. And um, look, I think this is sort of like a pavement thing where like publicly I'm like, nay, even though like I kind of like them. Uh, You know, I feel like I should be nay on general principle because, you know, psych and garage rock. Uh, isn't really my thing. You know, there's, I find that there's something like kind of depressingly regressive about it, not the music itself, but the way it's discussed by people I've talked to about it in real life. I mean, most of the people I know who, you know, kind of fuck with this whole scene will just often say like, uh, I don't, you know, there's not music hasn't been good for 20 years or something like that. And, you know, I know I shouldn't let, you know, the fans affect how I feel about the music. Cause if that was the case, like I probably wouldn't listen to modern emo either. But, um, yeah, I think that ultimately the, the very predictable cancellation of Burger Records and, you know, Ty Siegel kind of drifting from one of the few rock guys that indie publications were talking about to more of a journeyman status has kind of softened my view on him. I like Goodbye Bread. I think that's a good song. 
Um, I tried with Slaughterhouse a million times. I didn't like that's just not my style. But you know, when I catch a song of his on a weekly on a weekly Brooklyn Vegan mix or whatever, and there's almost always a new Ty Siegel song on there, I'm like, oh, I enjoy this. This is good. He's clearly got some. He's clearly like a good songwriter, but. Never to the point where I'm like, maybe I need to do a deep dive into Ty Siegel because I do, I think a lot of it is not musical tourism, but it, like you said, it's like he's going to make like a kind of stoner rock album or a folky album. And, um, you know, there's nothing really about it that like emotionally connects with me. So like, I appreciate the fact that he exists. I'm not against Ty Siegel, uh, especially no, now that it's not like 2012 or 2014 where, you know, he would like, no, we don't listen to your music. We listen to Ty Siegel. Uh, time heals all wounds. I'm like, yak on this guy. Yeah. I I have mixed feelings about, about Ty Seagal, Ty Siegel. Uh, I was a fan of his for a while, like in the early aughts, that period that you're talking about, the album Goodbye Bread, I like quite a bit, or I did at the time. There's also a collaborative album he did with White Fence called Hair that came out in 2012. I like that record. But my feelings on him essentially are, like, I, I disagree with the fact, with uh, the assertion uh, made by Zach that uh, he's put out great albums in the 10 years, last 10 years. I think he is the quintessential example of Someone who's put out a lot of good albums, but like no great albums. Like I think he's got a lot of B's and B minuses, but no A's or A minuses. And it it's weird because I think a lot of people in this lane they kind of make the same record over and over again, and you can't accuse Ty Siegel of that. I mean, he has gone into different genres. He does have quite a bit of range. But I just don't feel like he's the master of any of those. Mm. Like, yeah, he puts out a folk record, but is is it like a great folk record? No, it's like a good folk record. He puts out like a heavier riffing kind of metalish album. Is it a great metal album? Not really. Is it good? Yeah. So it's like it's hard for me to be nay on him because, like you said, I think he's a talented guy. I've seen him live. I think he is a good live act. But I've never been like blown away by any of his albums. He's gotten into like very good status a couple of times with those albums that I mentioned, but I just don't think he's ever crushed mm-hmm. it. And it's a weird situation like that. I, cause there's other bands that are like that too, I think. And, and they are bands that tend to be very prolific. And that's the thing with Ty Siegel is that he is putting out at least one album every year, if not multiple albums. And, as a fan of Guided by Voices, like I would never tell an artist or suggest to an artist, make fewer records. I, I think there are certain kinds of artists where that's their method. They make a lot of records, and they're just throwing a lot of stuff against the wall. And sometimes there's great stuff in there, and sometimes it's just okay. And it makes their body of work maybe less consistent, but they wouldn't really be as effective if they were just putting out an album every two years. But, yeah, I guess I'm going to go with Nyak here as well because I can't go nay Mm-mm. for the reasons I just said, but I just I've never been totally on board. Yeah. You know, I I think in the in 2012 I was like, this guy's gonna make a masterpiece at some at some point, and 
there were a few times where I maybe tried to talk myself into him writing a masterpiece, like Slaughterhouse, you mentioned, being a record like that. As, I think that's the one that's like 17 songs. I, sl- I can't remember. Slaughterhouse is the one where it's like the super heavy. Like, I don't know if that's... A, I, I think there's the one that came out in 2014, like maybe self-titled, that you're thinking... Like, I, I remember Slaughterhouse being kind of short. Okay, but that's not the one I'm thinking of. Uh, what, but is anyway, it, is yeah, it Manipulator? I, that's it. That's the one. That that's the it. one. That's the one. I think I even like interviewed him at that time. <laughs> but uh, for that record. But yeah, I just feel like for the longest time he would put out a record and I would listen to it and I would enjoy it and then I would immediately forget mm-hmm. it. And then that just happened enough times where I just stopped being excited when he put out new records. So that's where I'm at. I'm glad because he clearly has an audience. I'm glad he's making records for those people. But I just I lost interest. I couldn't I couldn't stay on the on the bandwagon with Bassett, that. I, I, w- I looked him up on All Music Guide, and from the time they start actually reviewing his records, which I believe is in 2009, every single album is three and a half or four stars. That sounds about right yeah. to me. Yeah, I you know again they're not bad, but they're not great, and you know. He's consistent. <laughs> you know, he's consistently good, but I don't know if you. I would almost rather have an artist who put out a great record and then a terrible record right. than a lot of three and a half star albums. You know, because like if a great artist makes a bad record, that to me is more interesting than a good artist making a good record. You know, I want to hear a great artist like not hit the mark. You know, because at least they're probably trying something. And it's going to be an interesting failure, uh, and like I don't think Ty 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 Siegel would ever make like a bad no. record, but I don't think he's going to make a great mm-hmm. record either. So you know, it is what it is. Yeah. What about Deerhoof? Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna say push on Deerhoof. I've never I haven't listened to a ton of Deerhoof in my life, to be honest. So I I don't really feel qualified to have an opinion either way. Yeah. They have a great drummer. I know that. I've seen enough and heard enough. To know that their drummer's fantastic, but so I'll say yay to the drummer, and I'll push on the rest. Yeah, this is like uh, this is a band that used to be like the number five album each year. Like when they were they were they were always also very prolific uh, in the early, like the two thousand to two thousand five uh, Pitchfork era. Like those were they were the kind of band that when we made then that when you made the original like two thousand to two thousand five halfway best of list like they were all at the top and then by the end of the decade they like weren't there at all uh i think they're a band that just gets like rediscovered every 10 or so years they put out a lot of music and you know you you can root for them because you know they're very challenging they're very um you know they're they're very abrasive in their way like for me i appreciate what they do but like i can't get down with the book like the vocal like i know that it's like it shouldn't be this cut and drive it's like yeah the vocals i find them tough to get past um but also didn't i think they opened for wilco once like yeah that makes yeah. sense so yeah they're they're the kind of band that like um you know they're they're a kind of band that like a lot of bands like super respect you know i know that they yeah. are like across the board respected and you know maybe there, there was like a chance back when i was like just following like pitchforks uh, opinions and lockstep that i could have got into them but i don't know maybe that day will come yeah you know when i think of deer hoof i just picture 
the fifty the fifty two year old guy who hangs out at the indie record store. <laughs> yes, who has like who has like the big bushy beard, horn rim glasses, and Deerhoof is like his favorite band. Watch me sell five copies of Apple O. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we are going to skip recommendation corner this week, so this is the end of the episode. Thank you all for listening to this episode of IndieCast. We'll be back with more news, reviews, and hashing out trends next week. And if you're looking for more music recommendations, sign up for the Indie Mixtape Newsletter. You can go to uprocks.com backslash indie, and I recommend five albums per week, and we'll send it directly to your email box.